Welcome to the Logic Fitness Life Podcast. This is Sam, and today we are talking about the Complete Resistance Training Program. These are the fundamental movements that pretty much create all of the movement patterns that exist in the gym and in life. So these have been narrowed down for us to understand and for us to use to our benefit. Um, and it's seven of them. So there are seven major movements, seven, we call them primal movements. And all that means is that our body can perform all of the daily functions. It can sit down, stand up, do all sorts of things, primarily by moving in these patterns. So I'm gonna give them to you now, the seven primal movements. The first one is a squat, and they're in no particular order, but first one, squat. Second one is a lunge. Third one is a hinge. Fourth is a pushing movement. The fifth is a pulling movement. The sixth is a rotational movement or a twist. And the seventh is gait, spelled G-A-I-T. And that refers to like a walking or running pattern. So pretty much in all of those movements, you can summarize how we exercise. And these are the rules that any proper program or any fitness coach needs to follow when they're training somebody. And if you are training yourself, these are movements that you have to understand so that you can have a complete workout so that you're not lacking in any areas of your fitness and your strength. And so that you make sure that your 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 workout is balanced and complete. Um, now, there's a difference between exercises and primal movements, and we'll get into the difference. Um, but let's define what these things are, right? So a squat. Most people know what a squat is now. It's, it's a sitting movement, right? You go down into a sitting position and you come back up to standing. This is very, very primal. We've been doing this since the beginning. We, we sit down, we stand up. Um, a lunge is coming up from a kneeling position, so a half kneeling position where one knee is on the ground and the other knee is off the ground um, out in front of you in order for you to stand back up. So if you can think about just having one foot out in front of you and one foot behind you and then trying to go down into a squat or going down to get closer to the ground with one foot in front of you and one foot behind you, that would be a lunge, right? Or um, you know what we call a split squat. Um, but again, that's an exercise and not a movement. So a lunge is having one foot in front of the other and performing an up and down motion, primarily using your leg muscles to get you up and down. A hinge actually focuses more on the hip joint, not so much the knee joints. So if you think about the squat and the lunge that we just went over, those are very knee dominant exercises, meaning that the angle of the knee um, changes uh, drastically, right? It, it has to um, travel longer for, for your butt to come all the way back up to standing. If you're in a full squat and your butt is close to the floor, for you to come all the way standing, you gotta think about how much that knee has to open up to get you up. So it's a little bit more knee heavy, whereas a hinge movement is folding from the hip. So think about kind of bowing in front of somebody, right? That is a hinge. So, and, and, and again, we don't call the hinge just bowing forward, but it's actually the action of coming back up out of that bowing position 
that is what we consider a hinge. Um, and it can be performed again many different ways, but the hinge is really about the hip joint and going from a closed hip joint to an open hip joint. Um, common exercises to associate to the hinge are uh, any type of deadlift or any type of um, bridge, uh, hip thrusters, things like that. Those are movements that incorporate the hip um, opening up and extending forward. So hopefully you can visualize that in your mind or you can look up those exercises and you'll understand. A pushing movement. So this is um, to do with your upper body now. Um, you know, think about pushing somebody away from you, right? You would have to put your hands on them and then you would have to extend your elbows out in order to push that person away from you. Um, same thing if you were, you know, as the, the oldest exercise that we all learned as kids, which is a push-up, right? What happens is your elbows come behind you. So imagine yourself on the floor face down in order to you for you to get back up you have to be able to put your hands on the floor so if you're if you're walking through this in your head with me if you are on your stomach to get your hands to touch the floor your elbows have to kind of come behind you in order to give your hand enough room to get under you right if your elbow is lying flat on the floor it's going to be very hard for you to push up off the ground so what you would do is slide that hand under your chest or your your stomach and then you would drive your hands into the floor to get you back up so that is a pushing movement and the exercise of push-ups is not the only way to perform a push you know we have things like bench pressing shoulder presses but the idea is that your hand and your elbow are traveling away from you against resistance and that's what we consider a pushing movement um, the fourth one is the uh, pulling movement I'm sorry, the fifth one is the pulling movement, which is the counter to the pushing movement. In that scenario, it would be like you reaching out and grabbing something and pulling it towards you. So it's just directly the opposite of a push. Now, if you finish a push, think about grabbing something and pulling yourself towards it. Um, and that's why we call pull-ups pull-ups, right? So imagine a pull-up. Um, a pull-up only happens if there's something for you to hold on to that is away from your body. So at this point, it's different, right? A push-up is something close to your body getting pushed away. A pulling movement is something that's far away from you that you're either trying to pull towards you or if the structure is strong enough, you are pulling yourself towards the structure. So in a pull-up, the bar is already above you. You have to reach out. In you reaching out, there is no resistance. But now when you grab that bar and you begin pulling yourself up towards that bar, that's where the action is, that's where the resistance is, that is the pull action. And again, pull-ups are not the only way to do it. That's just an exercise you can do, um, but as we all know, most people cannot do pull-ups, or if you didn't know that and you don't do pull-ups, then hopefully that gives you um, some encouragement and some hope. Uh, pull-ups are not easily done by most people. And that is why there are other exercises, other other exercises, other things that you can do. But the idea of the primal movements is that you do have to, at some point in your fitness uh, program, in your fitness regimen, you must perform a pulling exercise for your weightlifting program to be a complete and functional and smart training program. So um, we'll continue to to di dive into this a little bit more. But pulling is the fifth 
primal movement that our body performs. The sixth one is rotation. Our spine and our hips are able to create rotational movement. So if you find yourself standing up or let's say you're sitting down on the computer and you have to turn to slide a paper away from you to, to the side of the desk, you would have to not just reach with your hand, but you would reach the rest of the way with your body. Or let's say you have a phone behind you, you're sitting in the office, the phone rings, you can reach it by twisting your body around and, and getting to the phone. So um, rotations happen all the time. It's, it's how we get in and out of cars. You know, there's, there's a certain level of rotation and your body is meant to rotate, it does rotate, and therefore it is a primal movement. The seventh one is gait. And this one actually kind of made me laugh when I first heard it because I was like, what are you saying, gait? I was like, what, what, like a gate that you open to, to go into a garage or what, what is a what gate? But it is a G-A-I-T and it is a term that I didn't know until I became a trainer and it refers to our gait of walking. Now, you probably already knew that because, you know, I, after learning it, I realized, oh yes, this is a term that I had heard before. I just, I didn't really associate it with fitness. Um, but gait is the way that you walk. It is the way that you run. It is the way that you travel through space. So um, that one might be probably the most obvious to most people because it is a term that, that a lot of us use um, to describe walking, right? The speed of their gait, the speed, the distance of, of the gait, right? The, the way people walk. Sometimes you can recognize people by their gait, right? The way that they walk lets you know who they are right so if you they move type to side if their feet turn a certain way if they walk at a certain speed or if their stride is a certain distance their gait can be recognized so gait is one of the primal movements it is the final primal movement the seventh movement and that is why incorporating walking um sprinting running um things like that you know and there's there's different variations you can do carries um Again, these are exercises, not the movement, but the movement itself, the fundamental primal movement of the seven is the gait. So just to go over the movements, we have squat, lunge, hinge, push, pull, rotate, and gait. These are the movement patterns that all of our fitness training revolves around. Whether you do CrossFit or you do personal training or you do boot camp, um, anything that you're doing, you are doing these movements for the most part. Now, there are movements outside of these, but these don't constitute a proper fitness program. You know, if you're talking about the science of weight training, um, if you only did jumping jacks and battle ropes, that would be an incomplete strength training program, or it would not even be a strength training program because you're not actually, number one, doing strength training, and number two, you are not following the primal movement patterns that are involved in having a complete training program. Now, these movements should be performed each at least once a week. Now, that, that's the rule that you're supposed to follow. So, you, and the reason is because after a week or two of not training in a certain movement pattern, your body actually doesn't hold on to the muscle that you've developed. So. Um, and that is why we talk about things in the one week, two week, one month increments because um, our body doesn't hold on to fitness. And if you've ever gained weight after being in shape, you understand that if you don't use it, you lose it kind of a thing. You know, it's you have to keep working out. 
you have to keep lifting weights if you want to be strong, if you want to stay lean. If you stop, it goes away. So that is why you must perform these exercises, each one of them, not these exercises, but these movements, each one of them at least once a week. Um, there's many different ways to split it up. You can couple them where maybe you do squats, um, a squat and a push movement on one day, and then you do a hinge and a pull movement another day, and then you do a rotational and a gate and a pull. You know, like you can you can mix it up. Um, a lot of people, one of the first things that they learn is a split split routine, which oddly enough, um, most people have done split routines but that's actually a little bit more advanced. So when I say split routine, what you, the way that you'll understand it is if I say you're doing um, an arm day or a bench pressing day or a chest day, right? So the, the most people refer to these movements kind of in like body parts or certain exercises. So you might call it bench day, right? We've all heard bench day or squat day. And what happens is that actually derives from more of a bodybuilding, more of a powerlifting background where, and I don't know the exact history, but um, I'm telling you that it comes from a more advanced background because in order for you to spend um, an entire day doing only squat and hinge or only pushing or only pulling, um, if you're willing to invest 45 minutes, an hour, or even 90 minutes in just pulling exercises, that's actually very advanced because your body needs to be conditioned enough to handle that. So even though most of us start on split, on split days, right, split routines, meaning that you split up um, every body part per day. So you do a pushing on Monday and then you do a pulling on Tuesday and then you do a hinge on Wednesday and then you do a squat on Thursday. You know, you split your routine like that. You can do that and it works, but it is a little bit more advanced. So what is better for the general population, especially if you're not trying to be super big and muscular, but you want to build muscle, um, what you can do is do a full body training a couple of times a week, right? Two or three times a week full body where you hit all these movements. Um, you hit them on one day, but then you kind of rest another day and then you hit them again another day and then you rest. A lot of people like to do that. Um, but one of the best things to do is to find balance in it where you couple a couple of them, right? You, you, you grab two or three of the movements, you perform those, then you grab another two or three of the movements, you perform those, then you, the last ones that you haven't done, maybe one or two that you haven't done, maybe three, you do those on the third day. And so what happens is you're actually able to increase the amount of times that you do that movement in the week. So if you do squat and lunge one day, hinge and push another day, pull and rotate another day um, and couple that with gait, then you might, by, by, the, by the fourth day of the week, you'll be able to rotate back to the same routine you did on Monday because you got through the movements and also it allowed you to rest some of those muscles by the time that, that third day of the week, fourth day of the week comes around. So there is no um, one way to do this, but you know, Trainers have different ways of coupling these things to be more um, beneficial, to be more streamlined. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? To be more efficient. Efficiency is key. And that's really what trainers um, are there to do. They put things together in a more efficient way. So even though you could do 
squats and pushes, a trainer might have you do a squat and a pull because they might want to be more efficient in a certain area. Um, and that all depends on who you are, what your body type is, what you respond to, what injuries or limitations you might have. So everybody's plan, there is no one way to do it. Um, everybody's body kind of dictates what is the most efficient way for them to train. Is it more efficient for you to only do squats on one day or is it more efficient for you to do multiple primal movements in one day? Again, that's completely up to how your body feels. Um, sometimes the schedule might uh, might be the limiting factor. Hey, maybe you don't mind doing split days, but you only have three days out of the week to actually get into the gym and do something. So if, if you only have three days out of the week because you have a busy schedule, then you might want to do more of the primal movements in one day because you won't have the opportunity to do them again. So that's just you know how you want to do this but again you want to incorporate these movements in your personal plan you know and i was going to say personal training i'm so used to saying personal training but in your plan whenever you're working out all of these seven movements must exist in your plan at some point before the week ends and i'll summarize it with that all of these must happen in your fitness plan before the end of the week as long as you follow that rule, you are following a pretty good plan, a pretty good strength training plan that follows the guidelines that have been set for strength training. So let's talk about an exercise versus a primal movement. Um, when you do a squat, the exercise name and the primal movement are the same thing. So if you say squats, we understand what squats are, and they're, they're a primal movement and they're also the name of an exercise. But if I say you're doing a goblet squat, we're adding to the squat. Um, and usually squats are pretty straightforward. Um, you know, if you do a front squat, an overhead squat, a low bar back squat, um, all sorts of different squats, a TRX assisted squat, um, a deep squat, uh, a pause squat, and I'll stop now. But the idea is that the primal movement and the name of the exercise and the way that you do that exercise is different. So even though all the squats that I went over are still the primal movement squat, they are different ways to do the squat. There are different variations to do the squat. And I think this is where fitness can get tricky and where a lot of the gimmicks that people sell um, come into play because people try to sell a new exercise, but at the end of the day, we have seven primal ways, seven fundamental movements that all of these exercises will fall into. So no matter what, no matter what somebody sells you as far as equipment or um, a new fitness trend, the movements themselves are not changing. You can't reinvent the wheel, right? The wheel is the wheel and you have big wheels and you have small wheels and you have thick wheels and you have thin wheels and they all serve different purposes but the wheel itself has been built originally in the most efficient way. And so that's how you need to think about these primal movements. The movements themselves are as efficient as you can get, right? They are the, fun, the, the foundation to exercise. So squat is one, but lunge is another. So you, even though the lunge itself is the primal movement, you might do front uh, forward squat lunges or reverse lunges or lateral lunges or walking lunges 
Um, you know, there's, there's so many different types of lunges that you do. Contrary to the squat and the lunge where the squat and the lunge word actually appears in most of those exercises. Like I said, a front squat, a, a forward lunge, a walking lunge, you actually hear the, the word squat and lunge in the name. But when it comes to something like a hinge, you don't actually say like front hinge or you know reverse hinge. Um, those things don't really exist uh, and nobody talks like that. So one of the more common terms that people use is a deadlift. Um, or a thrust and but it all refers to the same thing right it's the hip extending so so you might do different types of deadlifts you might do different types of bridges different different types of hip thrusters right like these are all names of exercises that fall under the category of a hinge pattern um, same thing for the push the push can be referred to as a push up or um, a, you know, a, some type of uh, close grip push, some, some type of push, but it can also be referred to as a press, um, you know, a chest press, a, uh, a bench press. Those two names are about the same as well. Um, a cable press, a dumbbell press, um, but you might also call, uh, uh, you might also do a dip, right? And, which is also a pushing movement. You're pushing away um, but it's called a dip. So the name of the exercise isn't always um, linked to the name of the primal movement. So um, you have to be aware of what the movement is. And then even if it has a different name, you know what category it goes under. Same thing with pulling. Pulling is also often referred to as rowing. So if you're pulling something towards you, you are rowing it. Um, which is very common, right? You have close grip rows, you have bent over rows. So you hear the term rowing more than you hear the term pulling, but a row exercise falls into the category of pulling. Um, I don't have much on rotation, but rotation is also referred to as twisting. So you might do an exercise like um, a, a Russian twist is very common. So, um, you know, twisting and rotating and pivoting are probably considered um, names of exercises that fall into the rotational category. And gait, again, we, we normally say that you're going to go for a run, you're going to go for a jog, you're going to do um, stairs, you're going to do sprints, you're going to do, um, what do you call it when you have the, um, the parachute sprints, right? So those are exercises, but they all fall into the primal pattern of gait. That was a little long, but I just wanted to make sure that I covered every single one of the seven primal movements um, and showed you examples of exercises that fall into that. So an exercise is not necessarily um, a primal movement and vice versa, right? Then primal movement might not always show up in the name of the exercise. You might call an exercise you, like, I don't know, a burpee but that's not really a strength training exercise so that's a bad example but you get what I'm saying the name of the exercise it isn't always the name of the movement that it belongs in um, why is this important why am I talking about this so much the reason why you doing these movements is so important is because 
if you don't do all the primal movements, you will create imbalances and weaknesses in your body. If you only do three of the seven, you will only be strong in certain areas. And the danger is that the stronger you become in an area without strengthening the rest of the areas in your body and the rest of the movements in your body, um, you might get hurt. A lot of, um, I've seen this a lot in athletics. If you only train certain muscles, what happens is those strong muscles actually end up injuring either themselves or they, they usually end up injuring the muscles that are weaker because the muscles cannot um, counter the force. So it's a little tough to describe um, and I wasn't prepared to get into this today, but our body is made up of front, back, top, bottom, um, left side, right side. So what happens is if you're strengthening only certain patterns, you're more likely to start feeling pain or, or pull a muscle in a different area. So you gotta think, if you have one side of your body that you train three times a week, and that side of your body is able to produce, you know, 300 pounds worth of, of um, exertion, right? Or, you know, even 150 pounds worth of exertion in one pattern, but the pattern that counters that pattern isn't used, that side might only be able to withstand 10 pounds of, of exertion. So when you perform a movement, you might actually injure your own body because of the strength that you created on one side and didn't create on the other side. Um, also, if you're talking about aesthetics, you create imbalances because then you end up having big muscles in certain area and small, small muscles in other areas. So of course, everybody's body is gonna be different and we don't all look exactly the same. Just because you squat doesn't mean that your legs and your back and your glutes are gonna look the same as everybody else's, but you want to make sure that you train in these patterns so that your musculature also develops to the proper dimensions um, in your body. I think that's, I've always said this with uh, when guys and, and wanna start weightlifting, a lot of guys don't wanna lift a lot of weight because they're afraid that they're gonna look weird. But honestly, the guys that look weird at the gym are usually the guys that overtrain certain areas and undertrain or don't train at all other areas. So what happens is we associate weightlift, weightlifting with a very bad look, but really it's not the weightlifting that caused the, the bad look. It's the, the, the lack of all of the movements being in that person's program. So you see this a lot with bench press. If you only bench press, you're not going to look good. You're actually going to look very odd because the, the shoulders and the back and the glutes and the quads, they're not in proportion to the amount of bench pressing that you're doing and the muscles that develop along with that, with that movement. So that's one of the reasons. Another reason why you want to make sure that you implement all the primal movements is that you're, you're going to recruit all of the muscles in your body. And that's important because muscles equal the fat burning effect that we want. Um, having more muscle makes you more dense, it makes you leaner, it makes you stronger, it makes you faster, and it helps drop body fat off of your body. So what happens is if you only train some primal movements and not all primal movements, then you're actually leaving money on the table. You're actually leaving potential on the table. You could be a lot fitter, faster, if you made sure that you hit all those primal patterns, all those primal movements, if you made sure that you had all those movements as part of your weight training routine, 
you would streamline your fitness, right? You would get there faster. Now, I'm not saying that this is the miracle of all weightlifting um, principles, but it is so important because if you only work certain muscles, you are, um, you're just moving slower. You're not recruiting all of the muscles in your body. You are not exercising to your full potential. You're leaving, you're leaving potential on the table. So these are the reasons why we have to cover this. This is why you have to understand this. And uh, the last thing I wanna get into is single joint movements. These are movements that you have seen at the gym, that you do at the gym, that your trainer has you do at the gym, that are not primal movements. An example, doing a bicep curl, right? If you know what that exercise is, you grab the weight and you pull it straight up towards your shoulder, no other part of your body moves. So, and I'm just using that as an example, right? A bicep curl, it really only works the, um, the elbow joint and the bicep that is above the elbow joint that causes that forearm to come up. If you only work that, that's what we consider an isolation movement or um, a single joint movement. And, and these movements have their place in fitness. Because, and if they didn't, we wouldn't use them. Um, number one, they work the muscle, they work you out, they get you fit, they help you break a sweat, of course. You know, th that is what all exercise does. But in this particular case, single joint movements um, and isolation movements tend to be used a lot in two scenarios. And the funny thing is that they're used in two seemingly opposite scenarios. So I'm gonna give you the first one. The first one is usually when you have a deficit, when you are weaker in an area, usually due to maybe an injury or, or something that happened, um, lack of use for a long time. So what happens is you're actually not able to perform a movement. This is what we call like rehabilitation training, meaning that if you had a cast on your arm, you're not able to move your arm. So before we can start doing primal movements, we actually have to we actually have to address the elbow that hasn't moved in six months. And we have to make sure that that, and I'm not talking about personal training necessarily, we can be talking about physical therapy, but the point is no matter how you get here, you have to begin creating strength in that elbow um, joint again. Uh, and that lies outside of primal movement patterns, but it is something that needs to be addressed because we have a weakness there. Um, we have muscles that are underdeveloped there, right? Muscles that have atrophied in that area. So anytime somebody is not able to fire off um, from a certain muscle, uh, we have to address that joint or we have to address that muscle and make sure that that muscle is being recruited and, and that mentally your nervous system has made a connection to that muscle. And that, that sometimes is, is non-existent in people. You know, if, if you've been sitting on your butt for many years and you've never worked out, we might have to do um, some isolation for that in order to get, to get those muscles active again. Um, you know, I've, I've seen uh, calves that are atrophied after surgeries in the ankles, right? The person stops using their calf to walk and to go upstairs, the calf completely, you know, gets eliminated from the movement. So what happens is when I ask somebody to jog or to run, um, they're actually not able to perform that movement because that calf after that surgery has pretty much become inactive, non-existent. Um, and that's a little weird to phrase it like that because it's not like the muscle's completely gone, but it just becomes 
so weakened that it practically feels like it's not there anymore and it doesn't perform the function that it's meant to. Enough with the rehabilitation side. The opposite side and the opposite way that isolation training and um, single joint training is performed is actually in like bodybuilding. And this is very common. And, and, and anybody that works out to look good is in some way doing bodybuilding, right? You're working your legs because you want them to look better. You're working your shoulders because you want to develop them. They want, you want them to look better. So it, bodybuilding doesn't just refer to the big, m extremely muscular people. Um, we all do some type of bodybuilding if we ever work out to look a certain way. Um, but that is the other instance. If you come in and you naturally have smaller arms, you're going to do the primal movements, but you're probably going to need some extra work on that joint, on that one particular muscle. So you're going to isolate that muscle or that joint in order to develop some extra growth in that area so that aesthetically it looks good and it matches another muscle that might already be developed. So you create an illusion, you create a look by how you train your body. So even though your body can look amazing and it can be in proportion just from doing the primal movements, um, some of our bodies are shaped a little bit different. Some of us are lacking in certain areas. And that's also another place where you use these single joint movements, these non-primal movements, which is something I should have been saying from the beginning. These are non-primal movements. These are not movements that are fundamental to your fitness, but they can be used to either rehabilitate somebody or create extra size or extra strength in a certain joint or a certain area um, because it is needed for whatever the intended purpose is. So those are the seven primal movements, the other non-primal movements that might exist. Um, so go ahead and look at your fitness program and if you have a trainer, the trainer is probably taking care of all of this for you without you even noticing. They're just telling you what exercises to do, but I guarantee you they're following the primal movements. But if you are writing a program for yourself, then just make sure that you, you make your list of your seven primal movements and then look for exercises that fit in that category. Um, and, and that is where the options are infinite because that's why there's so many machines at the gym. There's different cables, there's different grips, there's different machines. You got dumbbells, you got barbells, you have bands, you have body weight training, you have these machines that they're selling you online, um, the, the total body slider thing that they sold for a while, right? Like all these things that they sell you are just different ways to do the seven primal movements and there's nothing wrong with you choosing whichever one you like. If you like dumbbells, if you like bands, if you like body weight training, so long as you can do it safely, and that's something we can talk about another day, and, and it's very difficult to translate without a visual cue, but you know, you want to perform things properly, you want to learn what proper form is, do the movements properly, and, and adjust. If you can't do a push-up, don't do push-ups for your primal movements. Go look for a machine where you can adjust the weight and make the weight lighter so that you can perform the movement safely and efficiently. Um, even for squats, if you can't do a body weight squat, you might want to find a machine that helps you do that same pattern without actually doing a squat. Now, 
that wouldn't really be considered a primal movement if you're in the machine, especially with a squat or a hinge, right? These are more strength-based movements, right? You want to test your true strength with these movements, so you do want to perform them with your own body weight and with um, a barbell, a dumbbell, some, some sort of free weight. We call those free weights. That's weight that the weight is what it is, and you just have to grab that weight and move it around. In a machine, weight is manipulated because you might be pushing forward, but the cable is pushing the weight up. So machines are a little tricky like that where we don't consider those true tests of strength. But if you're a beginner, that's where you need to start. Find a machine, find um, a way, uh, an assistance, find a way to perform the primal movement without making it too hard on yourself so that you can do it and you can do it right. And if you, and if you do it at least once a week, for enough weeks, you will get better and you'll be able to do a more um, traditional primal movement. You'll be able to move on from the basic things that you were doing um, onto more complicated movements or not movements, more complicated exercises. Again, the exercises are what change. The movement pattern never changes. Like I always say, the first day at the gym, you did squats, and the last day at the gym, you did squats. And whether you've been working out for one week or 10 years, you're still doing a squat, you're still doing a lunge, you're still doing a hinge, you're still doing a push, a pull, a rotation, and a hinge. One day experience, 1,000 days of experience. The movement pattern, the seven primal movements, do not change. What changes as you get better is the exercise you do and how much weight you're able to perform in that exercise. I'll talk to you guys soon.